Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Millennial Learn. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. I think this is going to be a good one because, I don't know, the subject just really pulled in my heartstrings when I was researching because I decided this week to research Queen Elizabeth II, you know, her life and her reign. She just passed away this last week, and I have just always really liked her. Just, I've seen various videos and things from... Um, you know, on YouTube or on TV over the years. And I've just always really, really liked her, but I didn't really know a ton about her or, you know, how she came to power, anything like that. The only thing that I really had context for was in the movie, The King's Speech, it was about her dad. And so I knew that she was portrayed as like one of the daughters in that movie, but I hadn't really put the pieces together like in one full timeline of kind of, you know, when she assumed the throne and what has happened since then. So I decided to go through and kind of research her reign and and things like that. And then kind of what came up, you know, as I was reviewing the time that she was in, you know, that she ruled um, was kind of all the the family drama that has happened over the years, you know, Princess Diana and Camilla and all that. And so I did a little side tangent on actually researching that as well, because I was too young to know what was going on at that time. Well, I was actually not even born yet. I think Princess Diana died the year that I was born or maybe right after. Um, But I like, I didn't even really realize when they got married, uh, Charles and Camilla got married, I have been so out of touch with the royals that I didn't honestly even know that Prince Philip died last year. And if I did hear about it, I don't think I knew that he was like the, that he was Queen Elizabeth's husband. For some reason, I thought that he had died many years ago and she had been ruling on her own for a long time. I don't know why I thought any of this. Um, but I decided to like get my history straight and research her because there were so many of these amazing tributes about how she was this great ruler and a great woman and she made such an impact on history and I just wanted to know what it was all about, what she did and she is truly an amazing woman. She took over and started, I mean she didn't take over, she just assumed the throne because her dad died so young and we'll get into all that but she's just definitely a person I think to be admired. So let's get into the episode and learn all about Queen Elizabeth II. Let's get right into it. Her full name is Elizabeth Alexandra Mary. I wasn't actually sure that her real name was Elizabeth because I know a lot of times, like when you assume the throne, you can choose a new kind of royal, you know, king or queen name. And her dad ended up doing that. Uh, But she did not. Her name was Elizabeth and she went with Queen Elizabeth II, which I really like. So she was born on April 21st, 1926, and she basically only had an extremely narrow chance of ever actually assuming the throne. It was really not likely that she would ever become queen because she was the oldest daughter of a younger sibling. So her dad 
was the younger brother of King George V. So really, her uncle was the first in line for the throne. Now, her uncle did become king. He became King Edward VIII, but he abdicated the throne in 1936 because he wanted to marry an American divorcee named Wallace Simpson. Again, all this I only know really because of the king's speech. Like, it was big drama in the movie when he wanted, you know, when he said he wanted to go marry Wallace. And they said, can you just keep it quiet and, like, not get divorced and whatever? Um... And he said, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to marry her, which was not allowed in the church. And so he could not be king and also marry her. Now, that whole movie centers around the fact that uh, Elizabeth's dad had this stutter and he had this speech defect and he didn't want to become king. He didn't want to really be in the, the spotlight, but he, you know, took it as his duty and he became King George VI. So, uh, her nickname was Lilibet, and she, once her dad became King George VI, she became the presumptive, or the heir presumptive to the throne. So, really, this is like, if we put it in today's time, you know, how far out she was from actually assuming the throne, it would be like if William suddenly abdicated and left and then Harry's kids became the heir you know so uh I didn't really realize necessarily the impact of all that drama and then that and how unlikely she originally was to assume the throne so throughout her childhood she spent a lot of time with nannies but she was very heavily influenced by her mother's Christian faith and you know her mother kind of instilled in her both her faith and values, but also the demands and the duties of royal life and what was kind of to be expected of her uh, and the service to her country. She was educated by private tutors. There was a large emphasis on British history, as you would imagine, and law. She also studied music and became fluent in French. And she also trained as like basically the British version of a Girl Scout, which is called a Girl Guide, and she really developed a passion for horses. Now, I think she also had corgis even as a child, in at least in King's Speech. I'm basing everything off this movie, um, but I found this timeline um, that really walked through it on uh, history.com. But she loved horses and corgis, and throughout her reign, she had over 30 corgis and she just you know she even has two had two corgis at the time of her death and um you know they're going to a new home now that she has passed so okay now elizabeth and her sister margaret spent most of world war ii living at the royal lodge at windsor castle you know because of the danger of in world war ii so they spent most of the war apart from their parents kind of hidden away in this fortress, which is outside of London, that's Windsor Castle. Um, and in 1942, so she would have been 16 years old, her dad made Elizabeth an honorary colonel in the 500 Grenadier Guards, which is a Royal Army Regiment. So she already was kind of being primed, you know, because she was the heir, because I knew she would probably assume the throne at some point 
he started giving her, you know, some responsibilities, you know, uh, some royal responsibilities, I should say. Two years later, in 1944, he named her a member of the Privy Council and the Council of the State. So what that did was that if he was out of the country, he, she had the authority to act on his behalf, you know, in matters in, in the country. So if he was traveling um, or couldn't be there, she was like his delegate, basically. In 1947, so she was 21, the, you know, the royal family announced her engagement to Prince Philip of Greece, who actually was her third cousin. So they were both great-great-grandchildren of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. So I guess so far removed that it doesn't matter, but they were third cousins and he was a lieutenant in the Royal Navy. They actually met when she was 13 and she was smitten from the very beginning. So eventually once, you know, she was doing these more royal duties and going to these events and things, they kept in touch and started a relationship um, throughout the war. So many people were actually opposed to them being married and being engaged and even dating because he was German and he didn't have money, but she had been smitten with him since she was 13 and she was not going to let their naysaying get in the way. They married on November 20th, 1947. So the next year, Charles, their first son was born. It was in 1948. And then Anne was born in 1950. Now, this kind of gave like a mini recap of Prince Philip and her relationship. So they were married for 73 years until Prince Philip died on uh, in April of 2021. And again, I wish I had done this timeline and known about this more when he was alive. This is like what always happens. I <laughs> am so late to, not the trend, but like so late to know things. And then you know, some big event happens, I go research it and I'm like, oh wow, I, I wish I would have known that about that like two years ago. Like for example, when Michael Jackson died, I was not a Michael Jackson fan at all. I thought he had died like 10 years before. Like I thought he had been dead for a long time. And when he died, people started playing his music everywhere. And I was like, dang, this is actually really amazing. And I became like this huge Michael Jackson fan after his death. And I was like, I wish I would have known about him when he was alive so I could have seen something he did live. <laughs> Same thing with Prince Philip. I wish I would have realized the magnitude of his death when it happened. But anyway, so I was curious why they called him the prince. And I did this little side tangent of research why, you know, she was the queen. And I knew that there had just been a recent statement saying that, you know, when Charles becomes king, make Camilla the queen consort. And so I thought that when Queen Elizabeth got to be queen, that they would call her husband the king consort. But there is a custom within the monarch uh, and British culture where it is customary for the male spouse of a reigning queen to be called a prince consort to bolster the authority of a of the woman. So they don't want to take anything away from her and her importance in the role and her importance as an heir. So they, instead of calling him the king consort, just call him prince. Okay, so 
going back to when she was growing up in 1951 her father's health declined so she started stepping in for him at state functions and um kind of started assuming a little bit more of the royal duties because his health was really not in good enough shape for him to do that uh then in 1952 early early in the year 1952 elizabeth and prince philip left to go on a tour of australia and new zealand new zealand on the way they stopped at kenya and when they were there they received word that on february 6 1952 king george the sixth had died at the age of 56 of lung cancer so he died very young she was only 25 and she became the sixth woman in history to ascend the throne at the age of 25 so immediately upon his death she was then queen but her official coronation wasn't held till june 2nd 1953 in westminster abbey which is actually yeah a ways after um her official you know becoming queen but they did help oh my gosh i am having a real hard time talking they did hold a true coronation for her okay so then this says that throughout her reign and especially in the first decade she really you know she went on all these tours around the commonwealth and i saw this video where they said oh she's you know this is the first time a monarch has has visited this country in 50 years and the first time that anyone's visited here in a hundred years or whatever, she really made a point to travel around and see the whole Commonwealth and meet the people. And she really was credited with, you know, modernizing and changing the reputation really of the monarchy. But the first decade, she really developed a close bond with the prime minister, Winston Churchill. She also weathered the Suez crisis of 1956 and she made, again, she made lots of trips abroad and had a very rigorous schedule of travel and seeing people. And there was a quote where she said that, you know, you can't just stay in London, you have to go meet all these other people. And so she really did a, a good job of doing that. At this time, there was a lot of criticism towards the monarchy. You know, you're using taxpayer money to basically fund the monarchy. And so you know at some point people think it's outdated and they're old and there's just nothing relatable about them so she really worked to modernize the image of the monarchy and herself and she was the first one to televise the annual christmas broadcast she did it for the first time in 1957. after that she had two more children andrew and edward and in 1968 charles her firstborn officially became the Prince of Wales. Okay, so then she had her Silver Jubilee, which that marks your 25 years as a reigning monarch. That was in 1977. She traveled 56,000 miles around the Commonwealth. She went to Fiji, Tonga, New Zealand, Australia, Papua New Guinea, the British West Indies, and Canada, which as a side note, I had no idea that Canada was part of their commonwealth so they recognized the queen as like their monarch separate from their parliament so I don't know all gets confusing about the commonwealth but uh, I didn't know Canada was actually part of that so that's a fun fact uh 1981 okay this is kind of when 
all the family drama happens that I was not privy to before. So in 1981, Prince Charles married Lady Diana Spencer, who then pretty soon after had William and Henry, who we are now very familiar with today. However, it says their marriage quickly imploded and it was embarrassing for the family. Okay, 1992 was not a good year for Queen Elizabeth. It was just like a mess with the whole royal family in general. So in 1992, both Charles and Diana and Andrew and his wife named Sarah Ferguson, both of those couples separated. Then Princess Anne, who is Elizabeth's daughter, and her husband, Mark Phillips, got divorced. So two separations and a divorce you know, three out of her four kids are having extreme marital problems, okay? Then, on top of it, a fire, like a huge fire, broke out in the Windsor Castle, and there was this whole public outcry about using her, fun like, the public funds and the taxpayer money to restore it. She agreed to pay taxes on her private income, which had been done before, but it wasn't customary or common by any means, she was worth billions of dollars. Um, so she did that. She said that she would pay taxes on her private income, but then also agreed to, and I think this was her idea, she wanted to open the state rooms at Buckingham Palace to the public when she was not there so that they could, you know, the public could see it for free. And it was kind of a gesture to the public of, you know, I don't know. It, it was another kind of good image thing to do, but she also just wanted the people to be more opening and or open and welcoming to the monarchy um so charles and diana got divorced in 1996 like officially so it took four years for that to be finalized um but she was still very popular with the british public the american public she was just still extremely popular after the divorce but that is when the next year there was uh, she died in a car accident and there was a tremendous outpouring of shock and grief, it says. And this, I just, I saw this video, this old video of people reacting to Princess Diana's death. Like there was, I think there was like four guys at a game night. They're all just playing games and videoing it and whatever. And then they turned on the TV or they flashed over to the TV and it was like, it came up that Princess Diana had just died in a car accident and they were just shook to the core basically and I think I'm just kind of realizing how big of a deal that actually was so it, it was like shocks you know for everyone America and in England and all throughout the Commonwealth it was just the most shocking news that she had died also there are a lot of conspiracies about her death that I'm not going to get into, but some people think that the royal family like killed her or that it was the British authorities that killed her. Um, but, you know, I think the general consensus is that it was just a very, very unfortunate accident, but who knows? Um, okay, so it says, though Queen Elizabeth initially kept the family, including princes William and Harry, out of the public eye at, the, at Balmoral, the unprecedented public response to Diana's death convinced her to return to London, make a televised speech about Diana, greet mourners, and allow the Union Jack to fly at half-mast above Buckingham Palace. So, um, 
yeah, I watched a video of her speech talking about Diana and she seemed to be very gracious about her and really admire her and, and say very kind words. So from the gist of it, I don't think there was like much beef in the end between <laughs> Elizabeth and Diana. Um, so yes, she wanted to protect, Queen Elizabeth wanted to protect Harry and William from the public because her mom had just died. It was this very shocking thing, but you know, people loved her so much and there was such an outcry that, you know, she realized like, okay, I need to go and make a statement and do all this. So, so that is what happened with Diana. Um, 2002 was her 50 year, marked 50 years on the throne, but that too was kind of a dark time in the monarchy because the queen's sister and mother had both died earlier that year. So there was a lot of grief that was happening at the same time. And then, okay, in 2005, the queen gave her, uh, not authority, but her consent, basically, for Prince Charles to marry Camilla Parker Bowles. And I did not know what this significance was, really, other than the fact that Prince Charles was not supposed to remarry because he's an heir to the throne and you typically can't marry divorcees or you can't be king if you know, you get divorced and get remarried or whatever. So I wanted to just get a full breakdown of what actually happened with Charles and Camilla and Diana, because I, that whole thing was lost on me. So let's just do a quick timeline recap of what went on with this whole kind of love triangle. So, uh, Camilla Shand was her first, was her maiden name. She was born on July 17th of 1947. She's 16 months older than Prince Philip or sorry, then Prince Charles Philip Arthur George, who was born in 1948. She was the daughter of a British army officer, and she grew up socializing with the royals and attended the Queen's Gate School in London, and her finishing schools were in Switzerland. So she came from some good money. She ran in some pretty royal circles. Uh, but Charles and Camilla met in 1970 at a polo match in Windsor, and they kind of immediately fell in love. So they began dating, but Charles left to serve the Royal Navy for eight months. And when he came back, Camilla was engaged to someone else. In 1973, in July, Camilla married a man named Andrew Parker Bowles, who was an army cavalry officer, seven years older, older than she was. They go on to have two children, Tom and Laura, Charles and Camilla are able to still stay good friends and Prince Charles is Camilla's son's godfather. So they stay very close. A little too close, if you ask me. Okay, 1980, Charles, who is 31, begins dating Lady Diana Spencer, who is at the time 18. Um, it was Lady Diana's, Lady Diana's sister who had set them up. Uh, and there's a 13 year age difference there. Okay, 1981, Charles proposes to Diana. One report suggests that he popped the question in Camilla's garden. So very, uh, obviously you can tell that Charles and Camilla are still close at this time. Uh, after the news breaks on February 24th, he makes a slightly jarring comment when a television interviewer asks him and Diana if they're in love. Diana blushes and says, of course. And Charles adds, whatever love means. <laughs> Apparently he sounded better in this other newspaper interview, but 
um, I don't know. It was a little bit lackluster and everyone was kind of like, okay. Uh, on July 29th, they get married. See, that was in 1981. And Charles and Diana will go on to have two sons, William born in 1982 and Harry born in 1984. However, their relationship soon becomes rocky. Charles, uh, it says, according to Charles's authorized biography in 1986, he begins an affair with Camilla. So this is, I think it comes out later that he had started an affair in 1986 with Camilla. So this was after the relationship had become rocky after, I think, five years of marriage. In 1989, Diana kind of knows what's going on and confronted Camilla at a party and says, hey, I know what's going on between you and Charles. I just want you to know that. And Camilla apparently said to Diana, hey, you've got everything you wanted. You have all the men in the world fall in love with you. You have two beautiful children. What more do you want? And so Diana says, I want my husband. I'm sorry I'm in the way. It must be hell for both of you, but I do know what's going on and don't treat me like an idiot. So there was a big confrontation uh, in 1989. Then, 1992, Andrew Morton publishes a book called Diana, Her True Story that is released. The Princess of Wales has multiple re has recorded multiple tapes for the freelance writer and its publication shocked the world. It has explosive stories about Diana's jealousy over Charles's involvement with Camilla. Questions. This is where people are questioning, like, okay, well, he obviously still loves Camilla, so can he even be king? Is he a rightful heir if he has gotten divorced and then gets remarried? At the time, they wouldn't be allowed a second marriage in the Church of England. Um, and so then in December, the Prime Minister, John Major, announces that Charles and Diana had officially separated. Again, that was 1992. And that was the same year again where the Queen celebrated her, you know, 25th year and then all three of her kids were basically have I mean three out of the four kids were having marital issues uh 1993 there was a transcript of a very suggestive and secretly recorded phone conversation between Charles and Camilla and there you know all of these very embarrassing details came out of the call uh, it says the news breaks only a month after transcripts of a secretly recorded call between Diana and a named and a man named James Gilby uh, were published. So they were both like there was all these tabloids about who's cheating on who and all these just very personal icky details. Um, 1994, Prince Charles allowed a documentary filmmaker to follow him for a year and a half. He wanted to repair his reputation and repair like his image after these stories of adultery but i guess it had the opposite effect and the filmmaker said asks charles if he was faithful and honorable during his marriage and charles says yes yes until it became ir irretrievably broken down us both having tried so he discusses camilla saying that she's a great friend uh, says that she's been a friend for a very long time and will continue to be a friend for a very long time. And I think that's kind of what backfired on his reputation. Camilla and Andrew Parker Bowles announced that they are going to divorce in 1995. So now both of them are single. 
in an interview, um, Diana was asked if Camilla was a factor in the breakdown of her marriage. And she says, well, there were three of us in the marriage, so it was a bit crowded. So that's like a very definite yes. The divorce is finalized in 1996. Charles hosted a 50th birthday party for Camilla at his country home in 1997. And like right after Diana tragically dies in a car accident in Paris, the world is mourning. And Charles, along with Diana's sisters, fly to Paris to bring Diana's body back to England. Then there's the famous picture of the funeral procession, which was Charles, Prince Philip, William and Harry, and Diana's brother walk as the mourners line the streets. And so in this, at that time, uh, Charles kind of takes, you know, he's kind of trying to be on this campaign to have England accept his relationship with Camilla and obviously this is not the time for it once Diana died so he takes a little bit of a break between her death and 1998 when he kind of slowly starts to try to ease the public into his relationship again and legitimize it uh so Camilla met Prince William this year in 1998 they you know speculate that he'll meet that she will meet Prince Harry soon but the queen still doesn't approve of the relationship because it was previously adulterous and he had cheated on Diana for Camilla. And so she was not having it. She declined to attend Charles's 50th birthday because Camilla was going to be there. 1999, in January, Charles throws a 50th birthday for Camilla's sister. He and Camilla arrive separately, believe the party together. Everyone can kind of see that they're now together and they're kind of going public. By 2000, Charles and Camilla still don't really have the Queen's official approval, but um, she's starting to accept more things. So she accepted an invitation to an event at Highgrove, which was a 60th birthday party for the King of Greece. She knew Camilla would be there. And so her accepting it was kind of a sign that she accepted the relationship finally. The couple then moved to the Clarence house, which is like a royal residence, and the royal family have to tell the, the taxpayers that, listen, your money is not going to be used to decorate Camilla's rooms because we're still not fully on board with this. It was very controversial still. 2005 is when Charles and Camilla announced their engagement. It's been 35 years since they first met. They still are in love, and they marry on April 8th, 2005 in a civil ceremony with Prince William as the best man. The queen doesn't go to the wedding but she went to the reception afterwards and then out of respect to diana because diana was the princess of wales the queen did not want to have another princess of wales she wanted to reserve the title for diana so camilla got her title which was her royal highness the duchess of cornwall so there was some respect for diana given there now 2010 there were questions about you know if Charles is going to assume the throne is Camilla going to be called the queen consort Camilla is seen as part of the reason why Charles first marriage ended and so the royal position is that she's going to be princess consort instead of queen but then there was all this drama because in an interview they asked hey Charles they said um will Camilla become queen consort and she said oh he said oh that could be 
Well, there was an uproar in response to that, and so the palace responded by saying, yes, nothing has changed, and Camilla will be known as Princess Consort. 2016, uh, Camilla and Prince William were both named the Privy Council, which was a group of the Queen's most senior advisors. It says reports speculate that the Queen wanted to ensure that they both will be present when Charles is named the King after her death. In 27, so again, this is like another step into accepting Camilla, really. 2017, um, well, I don't know. Basically, Camilla just said in an interview how horrible the experience was of the whole thing. Um, but nothing super important happened with the timeline. Uh, 2020, the couple both isolated because of COVID and Charles got COVID, but it was just a minor case. Um, so that's like, doesn't really have to do with their relationship other than the fact that they quarantined together, but they're married. So it makes sense. Uh, 2022, as part of a message released for her platinum Jubilee, the queen shocks fans with the statement that is, it is her sincere wish that Camilla should be known as queen consort when Charles takes the throne. Um, then they say the prince and duchess are touched and honored by her majesty's words. So everything seems to be kind of mended at that point. And now Camilla is going to be known as the queen consort. So that is the timeline of Charles and Camilla's relationship because, and Diana's, um, I missed all that <laughs> when it was happening. I was either too young or had missed too much to care. So that was my like crash course on what happened. Um, Okay, so that was 2005 that the Queen gave, you know, her permission for Charles to marry Camilla. We're back to there in the overall timeline. Uh, William and Kate get married in April of 2011. Prince Philip stepped down from royal duties at 20, in 2017 at the age of 96. That same year was their 70th year of marriage, and it's the longest union in history of the British monarchy. So, again, he died last year at the age of 99. Um, Harry, her, you know, grandson, wed Meghan Markle in 2018. She was a biracial divorcee, which is just a testament to how far and how modern the monarchy has come in the time that Elizabeth was, um, was in power, I guess. Power seems like the wrong word, but she was reigning during her reign, I should say. Uh, in 2017, she delegated some of her duties to Charles, just a couple, and so there was a lot of speculation if she was going to retire and hand it over completely to Charles. She didn't, and she actually worked all the way up to the end with most of her royal duties. She actually installed a new prime minister two days before her death. So she was going right up to the end, and um, she was going on public appearances, continuing her duties and she spent a lot of of time outside in her final years with her beloved dogs and horses it said which honestly made me like that is so cute like i'm glad she had her little dogs and her horses to spend time with and oh it's just adorable also i want to shout out really quick that that timeline that i found of camilla and charles was from town and country magazine and i will link it below um, okay, so overall, that is the timeline. So she was really known for modernizing the monarchy, for creating a very good public image because there were, they were getting a lot of criticism back in the day and they were getting a lot of, uh, like, people thought of them as outdated and the monarchy as useless. And so she really modernized them and showed that they can do a lot for the country and for the Commonwealth and, 
and really changed around their image. So she was definitely a beloved figure that died. Again, I feel like I've always loved her, but I didn't know a ton about her, but she was so like sweet from what I had seen about her. So nice, so poised, so charismatic. Like I just always was a fan. Recently after she died, I watched a compilation of all of her like funny quips and funny little off the cuff remarks. And she was actually an extremely funny lady, but there was for her platinum Jubilee, there was a video where she sat across from Paddington Bear and they did this whole like skit where she was having tea with him and he was, you know, a bear and drank all the tea and stuff. And she showed him that he, she had a marmalade sandwich in her purse and there, it was so cute. And then at the end he said like, you know, they said, oh, the party's about to start. And he said, like, have a great Jubilee, ma'am. And thank you for everything. And I <laughs> swear my eyes like got teary. It was the, the cutest thing I've ever seen. And uh, I, I just really love her, admire her, and think she was just a great woman. So I'm excited that I got to learn a little bit more about her. And I hope you guys all learned a lot. So thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. I don't know why I am having a tr <laughs> having trouble talking today. I feel like I'm tripping over all my words. So I'm ending it here. But uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Make sure to go to rate and review it all uh, and recommend it to your friends. I would super appreciate it or very much appreciate it. And that's all for today. Thank you all. And I will see you on Thursday for another state history podcast episode. Bye, everyone.